Yup, there comes a time where it can't always be sunny skies and, you know, all that pretty and pink bullshit when it comes to black people surviving in horror movies. Now, I actually wasn't going to do this episode. I wanted to be on the lighter side of that topic, but um, I was chopping it up on Facebook with my boy. Shout out to my boy, Troy Lee. And I had the idea. He, he actually had me thinking you know, as he was listening to um, the last episode I did about black survivors and horror movies. And he had me thinking, like, you know, I should do an episode, uh, you know, like a top 25 or something along the lines of that where we didn't survive, where black people didn't survive. And I'm going to do it in, in a way that I explain the one, like the ones that I made a list of are ones that are really disappointing uh just really salty like just completely left field when you didn't expect it to happen or just really bad like the black person just had to get it like the worst way possible out of everybody in that movie and you know i think there's there's way more black people that die in horror movies than black people that live but the numbers are definitely up there and i think i came up with 25 of them just off the top of my head i only like did some internet research maybe twice for them and, and remember two of them or something like that. But, uh, yeah, these are in no particular order, man, at all. I really wanted to put them in order by, you know, by year when the movie came out, but that would have taken too much time. So this is a random order. It's 25. Some, some of the, um, the actors or actresses have multiple movies, but it was, it only count as, you know, one, but I will mention the movies that they, they also died in. Cause some of, you know, there, I feel like there's certain actors that just, it's a clause in a contract where they want to die in, in horror movies, because some of them, they just fucking die in everything they're in a thriller, a horror, doesn't matter what it is. So here we go. People top 25, no particular order, 25 moments where we did not survive horror movies and the shit went south very quickly sometimes not quickly but other times just bad like bad fast i'm talking like um you know ezra miller flash fast uh, i know a lot of people don't like ezra miller as the flash but sue me i don't give a shit now let me start with number one now i feel like like number one was the first one that legit came to my mind i know i said it's in no order but my number one is my number one for a reason because it's the first one i thought of it always it still breaks my heart to watch it, even though the movie came out in 1989. And this movie, first of all, will always have a special place in my heart because it's the first movie that made me throw up like legit. I threw up watching this movie. I don't know why. I don't know how I was feeling. But this death in this movie for this black guy, I want to say he went out like a G, but it's, it's, it's just the way he went out. And under the circumstances, you know, he almost he almost got you know, a quote unquote W for the moment, not a full one. But of course, my number one, I'm talking about VC Dupree playing Julius in Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason takes Manhattan. Now, Julius was, you know, the, he's, he's the boxing champ of the high school. He is the, he's actually the one where, you know, when dead bodies start to pile up and the captain's dead and his, and his, um, you know, his, his, his partner's dead, Julius and the other kids come in. He's the one that kind of, he kind of chumps, uh, 
Mr. McCulloch, and he basically tells him, like, look, school is out. I'm about to rile up some weapons and do what I got to do. You know what? Fuck you, because you look like you were an extra in, you know, a James Bond movie, and they just didn't call you back for casting you in the lead role or something like that. That's that's always who that, uh, who that dude reminded me of, but Julius is the only person to, you know, when these guys are picking up weapons... He's, first he says he's not taking anything and then you know the ship starts creaking and making a sound and he says nothing but this gun and he takes the gun he doesn't get a chance to use it because jason throws his ass off the boat like just like last week's trash or something like that but julius actually ends up surviving but when they get to new york jason finds him and he's got him cornered because he he, he chases him up to this roof and he's on this rooftop he can't get down because jason has followed him up to the roof now julius has probably one of the greatest scenes in friday 13th franchise history hands down top five one of the top five scenes at least for me anyway personally but what he does is you know he this dude is you know he says use the combos keep the feet like he's boxing jason's head off like this dude is applying four years of high school's worth of boxing training and probably elementary school or middle school getting bullied whatever the fuck he's got in him he is giving it to Jason to the point where he's hitting that mask and his knuckles are bleeding. He tires himself out to the point where he can't even throw any more punches. So what Jason does is, you know, he tells him, take your best shot. And what Jason does is he knocks this motherfucker's head clean off his shoulders. I'm talking like the director put, attached a camera to a Nerf ball and threw that shit off a roof because there's a shot of Julius's head, like what he's seeing as the roof or as the head flies off the roof and it's just spinning, spinning, spinning. And his head falls in a dumpster. And then to make matters worse, Jason takes his fucking head out the dumpster and puts it on the dashboard of a cop car. And it's all dirty. It's got all this this food residue and shit on it. It's Saudi. That the only black guy you got in this movie gets his fucking head knocked off. And he made it to New York. He made it to where we were waiting to see Jason at in the first place. And he dies there. And it's Saudi, man. It sucks. But VC Dupree, shout out to him because he is the only one to go toe-to-toe with Jason. I mean, at that point, up until... um, uh, I can't remember the guy's name that plays Steven and Jason goes to hell. And he put up a good fight, but nothing like Julius, though. So, yeah, that's number one. Number two, I hope I said his name right because I don't know if... If, if the G is silent, Ken Sagos or Sagos, who played Kincaid in not only Nightmare on Elm Street 3, but Nightmare on Elm Street 4. So I had to put Kincaid on this list definitely because Kincaid is killed in a way where it's just so tasteless, in my opinion. Now, I like Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, uh, the, the uh, Dream Master. I, I love that movie. But it's not, while it's not better than part three, I don't like that they just dispatched of the the last Elm Street kids from the previous movie the way they did. You know, he killed them one after the other, literally. And granted, that's what Freddy set out to do. But Kincaid was such a, a, a pivotal piece to the Dream Warriors. And then to just give him only a couple scenes and, you know, a couple funny lines. And then he just gets stabbed in his stomach. He, you know, what had happened was... He has a nightmare, you know, his dog pisses fire and, you know, resurrects Freddy. So Kincaid throws a car on top of Freddy, crushes him. He thinks that's it. I don't know how he would even fucking think after seeing Freddy in a hall of mirrors and in the boiler room, pull a, you know, a lead pipe out his stomach and lick the whatever the fuck that shit was. Like, I don't know how he thought that killed Freddy, like just dropping a car on him. But basically, Freddy's got him cornered in. Uh, what is basically a world of cars like it looks like 
it's a big ass planet of cars you know this junkyard he's stuck inside of it and all freddie does is just stab him in the stomach kincaid says i'll see you in hell and he says tell him freddie sent you then he stabs him again and then he stabs him again and kincaid wakes up like he all he does is just stick the it's, it's just Saudi, man. It's Saudi that they just killed King, one of the best characters in Nightmare on Elm Street up, up to that point to just get killed like that in part four, man. It was so, 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 so. Like, I feel like Kincaid, if he was going to die, he should have died fighting at least towards the end or near, you know, the middle of the movie or something like that. Don't kill my man off right away like that, especially when he was whooping ass in, uh, in Dream Wars. I liked him in Dream Wars. Number three. Uh, this is actually a two-parter, and it kind of kind of pisses me off because I actually like this guy a lot. Like I like him. I liked him in TV when he was a kid. I liked him. Uh, you know, I think yeah, he was in a Cosby Show. He was on Sister Sister for a good portion of time. I like him in movies in general. Trippin' is one of my favorite black comedies of the '90s ever, and it's crazy underrated. But when this guy plays in horror movies, he just you know, it's you know it's not gonna be good, but he does bring the laughs though for sure. And I'm talking about Dion Richmond. Uh, he plays Marcus in Hatchet and Tyson in Scream Three. Now in Hatchet, this dude is a riot, man. Like his jokes, like Hatchet is not to be taken seriously. First of all, for anybody that's seen it, yes, it is a gory as all hell slasher, but the the humor is there. Like the movie is funny as shit, and him playing Marcus, he just wants to, you know, all he wanted to do was you know hit on some girls in new orleans and then his friend talked him into going on a haunted swamp tour and they end up you know running afoul of victor crowley but when marcus dies at the hands of victor crowley it is is terrible because not only has he been talking shit you know he's trying to lure victor out of the woods and he's he's you know he's talking about how he's disfigured and shit like that but when victor crowley gets a hold of him he starts bending his arm. He's behind him and he starts bending his arms backwards. And, you know, all he can do is all Marcus can do is just basically cough up blood and tell his friends to run. So when they run, Victor Crowley breaks his arm, you know, snaps his arms back and pulls both his arms off, like legit pulls both his arms off and throws them on top of him. And then to make matters even worse, he's not dead after that. So what he does is he picks up Marcus's body and swings it against like a tombstone or something like that. Some type of structure in the graveyard and his head just cracks open and all his blood flies out. Like dog, the the nigga was going to die anyway. He was going to bleed to death. But when you, when you die at the hands of Victor Crowley, it's it's not going to be nothing pretty at all. Any, none of these deaths, in this entire hatchet franchise none of them in four movies are are anything nice at all it ain't uh you know strawberry filling at all now when he plays tyson in scream 3 he doesn't get a lot of scenes i actually i was hoping he would be in a lot of scenes because he was on the front cover and i was like okay well they did put jada pinkett in on the front cover of scream 2 and they actually put omar epps on like some alternate covers like in the newspaper clippings and stuff like that but I was hoping he would live. Like when he died, I was actually making up excuses. Like, yeah, he's he's probably still alive. They just didn't show him at the end of the movie. But I think it's funny. It's salty, but it's funny because when the killer pops up, as soon as Ghostface pops up, his ass is ready to roll. But he doesn't roll. He actually tries to tackle Ghostface and you know give him a little rumble. But he gets stabbed in the gut, and he's running. He's running, yelling for the police, and Ghostface is right behind him. And the scene is actually pretty damn funny, but Ghostface is behind him, and he grabs the rug 
as uh as Tyson is running on the rug and it flips him upside down. So he slams him into Ghostface didn't even have to do all this extra shit. You really could have just stabbed him. He flips him off the rug, he throws him into, you know, a a, a glass window, and then he throws his ass off the balcony and he just goes splat which i don't really know how that that's why i kept making excuses when i first saw it because i'm like that wasn't really that far of a distance for him to just die on impact because if you go back and watch scream there's like an outside view of his body laying on the ground outside of the window or the balcony he just you know was thrown from and it's bullshit it's bullshit the only black guy in the movie it's bullshit i mean you let Dwayne martin live and you let Dion Richmond die. I mean, whatever. It is what it is. Scream is not known for, um, you know, keeping their African American counterparts alive per se. We all know that. And I'll get to another person who is on this list in a little bit. Now, number four, who should have been my number one, is a two-parter. But this first movie he was in is is it still breaks my heart to watch it, man. It's is one of literally the saddest movie moments of my childhood, of my life. And I, I just, it's salty because I hate the way it went down. I thought things were going to be different. I really sound like I'm talking like I'm, I'm on some soap opera shit right now. But that's really how this death in particular really hurt my soul. And my number four is Tony Todd playing Ben in Night Living Dead. Now, the two part is a two part because he also played Johnny Valentine in Wishmaster, which I'll get to in a second. But Ben in the Night of Living Dead, man, the guy barely used any weapons. I mean, he, he had a gun at some point. He had a crowbar in the beginning and he had a, to- uh, you know, um, a torch. But this version of Ben was nothing to be played with because he was going straight WWF, ECW, WCW, WWE, UFC, whatever, BET, NBC on these fucking corpses, man. He was going whatever, you know whatever you want to come up with whatever letters that's what he was going man he was going ape shit and you know a lot of people might disagree with me and be like oh well he died in the remake you know of course he was going to die in this no that's not necessarily true because barbara played by patricia tallman actually lived this time and ben still died but it was the way he died you know he 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 went out he died he got shot up he got shot twice actually you know in a shootout with mr cooper and cooper goes in the attic so what makes it even sadder is Barbara still, you know, Ben shot up. He got hit twice. He's he's like in bad shape. Barbara still says they can make it. And he's like, no, I, you know, I can't go like I, I can't I can't go with you. And he just tells her to go. She doesn't want to go. She looks like she's about to cry. Ben goes in the basement and, you know, he has that moment in the basement where he finds the key to the gas pump and he just starts he starts laughing. You don't know what happens after that. But when Barbara goes back to the house the next morning with the militia, they put a chainsaw to the basement door to, um, you know, to, to cut the block that's holding the door shut. And up comes Ben, you know, up the steps, completely zombified. The motherfucker looks like pale green. And his eyes are just that dead blue that they gave, um, you know, every zombie in the movie, which was a nice touch because that's actually how dead people's eyes actually look when they pass away. But, um, and... Y- I always think to myself that he was almost about to say her name because it looks like he tries to speak when he sees Barbara. He just stares at her in a daze and he looks like he's about to speak. And then they shoot him in the head like about three times and he just slides down the wall and dies. And it's like I was about as sad as Barbara's character was, man. I was heartbroken at that ending because I'm like, yo, they went back to the house. Ben might actually live. Nah, they did me dirty two times in a row. 
So, you know, I ain't gonna say nothing bad about the creators of, of that movie because you know the original is one of my favorites. The remakes one of my favorite remakes, top five. But y'all ain't had to do me like that twice. You know, y'all could y'all could have switched it up. That's in my version. Ben's gonna live, man. Spoiler alert. But um, Tony Todd is Johnny Valentine and Wishmaster. This is on the list because while he was only in one scene, he caught a bad one too because I am I am claustrophobic for one and i do not i have this thing with any type of restraints i don't like them so what he does with the gin nathaniel demarest uh played by andrew devolf is he you know he tells him he wishes to escape he's like you know i know you hate this job do you wish to escape and johnny valentine says yeah next thing you know uh, the gin walks away and you see uh tony todd in this uh this tank filled with water and he's chained up with a straight jacket on and you know the gin walks off a smile and he says houdini did it in two and a half minutes now when i saw that um it was probably one of my first panic attacks as a child also because i just the just the mere thought of it it's like yo like i i would die a shock before i even you know get a chance to think for a split second okay how am i going to get myself out of this not if i mm -mm, nope i don't even want to finish talking about it number five is Makai Pfeiffer playing, uh, he's actually a two-parter, and I didn't even mark this down, but I will do a two-parter, but um, Makai Pfeiffer, when he played Tyrell in I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, and when he played Andre in Dawn of the Dead, which just dawned on me, pun intended. Now, when he played Tyrell, my guess was always this, that Tyrell was the one that died because if anybody remembers Bill Cobb's character Estes, he's got he's into all the voodoo shit, and and in his room he they he has personal belongings of Julie, of Carla, of Tyrell. I don't think he took anything from Will because he knew Will was Ben Willis' son. Uh, so what happens is you see Tyrell when they leave when they when they transition into the next scene, you see Tyrell putting his necklace back on that Estes took to protect the kids. And I, it was always my theory that him taking that necklace made so that he wasn't safe anymore. Because I talked about it in my last episode. Brandy literally fell through every glass structure on that in, in that resort and she stayed alive. But it's fucked up with Tyrell, man, because first of all, he's venting. And I understand, man. Like, I understand his frustration. Uh, you know, he he all he wanted to do was spend some time with his girl and here come bodies dropping and her best friends going crazy. It's like I know the feeling when you're you're when you you're dating somebody and she's got that friend that's just a fucking basket case. That's just a Debbie Downer. Now, no, I haven't dated a chick whose best friend survived a serial killer attack that I know of, but I can still kind of relate because he, he wasn't buying into uh, Julie's BS. But while he's venting, he's like, you know. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm fucking horny. And then he's like, I haven't, I haven't seen a psycho killer. And as soon as he says that, Ben Willis jumps down from it, it like this overhead thing above the stove. And as soon as he jumps down, he, he sticks his hook through, through Tyrell's neck, and literally picks this motherfucker up. And he's like. He's he's just dragging him upward as the hook is just in his neck. Now, yeah, I don't know. To to the naked eye, they wouldn't probably notice, but that was CG blood. That was some CG blood back in like '98, I think that movie came out. But that death, that is the best death in the entire movie. In the in the whole three movies, I know people don't count the third movie, but that shit was off the chain when I first saw it, and it's still it's still very effective because you don't see it coming. Now, 
Makai Pfeiffer in Dawn of the Dead as Andre is something different. Now, this was the Dawn of the Dead remake in 2004. This is something different that pissed me off because it was two black people. Okay, him and Ving Rhames. Why can't we just be united on screen? Why does Tyrell have to be that guy? I mean, I couldn't even imagine. But why does he have to be that guy who turns crazy and makes his wife, who is a fucking zombie deliver a zombie baby like did you how did you think this was going to play out dog like did you think that you know y'all were going to be you know the, the baby was you were going to just feed little pieces of people to the baby as it grew up and it was going to grow up to be big and strong and dead like he lost his fucking mind in dawn of the dead man and what happens is jane eastwood comes in there and she finds andre and luda and the baby and she draws her gun right off the rip and she shoots Luda in the eye. So Andre draws his gun and he, he fires at her. So they have like this old Western type of shootout. It's, it's really Zack Snyder because it's close ups on the barrels. It's close up on the shells dropping down. It's, it's early. What would it's early Zack Snyder, but what will become vintage classic Zack Snyder shots. And, you know, basically Andre dies from the gunshot wounds while he's still holding his baby. Now, while it's sad and it's sick, it's fucking stupid. It's stupid, man. I mean, I I don't know how I would react if, if my wife was, you know, if she was pregnant and she got bit and like, I, I don't know, you know, and I won't know until the zombie apocalypse happens. Knock on wood. I hope I never have to go through that when the zombies invade. But I just hate the fact that he had to be that guy. You know, I, nothing he did from that point on was was rational at all. It's all good, though. Now, number six goes to my man, Mike Epps. When he played LJ in Resident Evil Extinction. Now, LJ got introduced in Resident Evil Apocalypse, the movie before this. And it always pissed me off because LJ, you know, he had he had jokes in it. He had stuff to do and he was relevant to the team. But he didn't. If anybody notices, Mike Epps had the crazy ass dual gold Desert Eagles in the first, in, um, in Resident Evil Apocalypse. He didn't fire off a single shot. But he finally got to fire them things off in uh, Resident Evil Extinction. But it sucks because he got bit and he didn't tell anybody. And when he transforms, you know, he's actually still uh, fighting and holding his weight, you know, as as he starts to get sick. He's killing zombies and shit like that. He's shooting the infected crows and, it, you know, he's still being a good sport. But he doesn't tell anybody he gets bit. So when he transforms in the truck with the chick Kmart, he tries to bite her and it's a fucking ripple effect or not that it's a domino effect because what he does is he bites Oded Ferris character Carlos and Carlos has to kill LJ. So it's just like Mike Epps not only was being the sneaky guy, didn't tell anybody he got bit. You bit one of the most thorough uh teammates you had and then he had to kill himself. It's it's all bad. It's all bad. It's all bad. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time on that. Number seven is actually going to be a rest in peace shout out for sure. Lee Thompson Young, who played Delmar in The Hills Have Eyes 2. I can't remember what year it was, but he passed away. Um, the guy committed suicide, man. It was really it was really sad to hear about because I actually loved him. And I think he was in Friday Night Lights, if I'm not mistaken. One of those football movies. I really want to say Friday Night Lights, but I loved him as Delmar in the hills have eyes too he was a badass but he was like a little more subtle than um his best friend who was crank played by jacob vargas now what i what pissed me off about this death was that <sighs> delmar was super alpha leader 
you know, he was the one that was taking charge and getting shit done and, and, and telling people, yo, this is what we're going to do. We're, you know, this is how we're going to move. I'll, you know, you guys follow my lead. I'll go in first type of shit. I love his character, but there's a scene where one of the mutants are in the, are in the caves because they actually go inside the caves to go on a search and rescue mission for their friend. And one of the mutants is carrying around like an assault rifle and is letting off shots. And I think Delmar gets hit twice. And one of them is like a shoulder wound or something like that. But he doesn't tell anybody he gets hit twice. So when they are in this little secret room that one of the, the I guess, the friendlier mutants, you know, brings them to to help them hide out. Delmar starts coughing up blood and, you know, they find out he got shot like in his stomach. So he actually ends up bleeding out and dying from the wound that he didn't tell anybody about. And I'm just like, Jacob Vargas's character, Crank, is actually crying and telling him, you know, he's like, don't leave me like this, man. And I'm like, yeah, me too, dog. Like, I'm I'm going through it with you over here because he, we didn't know he got shot. And it's so heartbreaking to watch, man, because he, you know, they all made it out. But I, I feel like the movie... It would have been that much better to sequel if Delmar survived, man. So, again, rest in peace. Shout out to Lee Thompson, young man. Forever in our hearts, for sure. Um, Charles Dutton is my number eight. Now, this Charles Dutton, man, I have nothing but respect for you, brother. I really do. But I do believe there's a clause in your contract, for sure, where you die in every movie you're in. Dylan in Alien 3, Leonard in Mimic, Percy in Legion. I didn't write down, this is actually a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 parter because I didn't write down, you know, his character's name in Secret Window. I didn't write down his character's name in Gothica. He dies in everything. Now, Dylan in Alien 3 pissed me off because he died at the end. Now, I, I'm kind of torn on it the older I get because... I think a lot of people, uh, you know, they forget the fact that this is a prison, this planet that they're on in Alien 3. This is a prison for murderers and rapists. And I think Charles Dutton's character is both. So while in my eyes, people like that deserve to die, I I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm, I'm torn on his character dying, but it is one of those moments where he dies at the like almost at the very end of the movie. You made it that far and then he sacrifices himself so Ripley can pour the lead on the xenomorph and he gets his ass torn up. A lot of his, his scenes are just him getting torn the fuck up, apparently, because when he plays Leonard in Mimic, he gets, you know, he gets sliced on his leg by one of the bug claws and the bleeding won't stop on his leg so what he does is he you know he he shoes away the the survivors he's like yo man go ahead I, I can't stop the bleeding i can't stop it so he's like on his last line he's he's limping on the tracks and he's singing like a you know a song i ain't gonna say it's an old negro spiritual i ain't gonna say that at all but you know call a spade a spade i don't I honestly don't know what he's singing but he's limping on the tracks with a gun and a flashlight and one of the judas breed cockroaches just flying past him like taunting him a little bit but it lifts him up off the air and then it you know it's, he's shooting at it but it's not doing any justice and the shit just munches the you know it takes his mandibles and just bites into his face and then they cut away pretty fucked up stuff man uh especially in legion now this is what pissed me off about him dying in legion before i move on he went outside to save this woman who was clearly delirious. You know, she saw her husband tied upside down to like a pole or something outside. She goes to save her husband. Now, Percy Charles S. Dutton goes to run out after her. And when he grabs her to bring her back inside, the husband he explodes. You know, his body is like like boiling. He's He's got all these nasty boils on his body. And he really looks like he's in the oven. And 
when Percy turns the chick around to basically shield her as this guy explodes, he explodes and it's 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 acid or something like that. Because when Percy comes back in, they're like, are you OK? And Charles S. Dutton is just looking and then he falls flat on his face and his entire back is exposed like his spine. Every bone in that man's back is exposed. This shit looks like. You know, if raccoons go through your trash after Thanksgiving and that turkey isn't or whatever, a, a Cornish hen or whatever the hell you eat around the holidays. That's what that shit looked like. Like somebody picked it clean. It looks disgusting. But Charles Dutton, I need you. If you're in another horror movie, man, I need you to not die. All right. For me personally, for me, if you got an Instagram account, I'm going to tag you to it. If you respond, I need you to um, not die in any more horror movies. Now, number nine. My man, old school, Fred Williamson, when he played Frost in Dust Till Dawn. This pissed me off because Frost was the only black character, if I'm not mistaken, in the first Dust Till Dawn movie. And not only did he die because Tom Savini's character, Sex Machine, was being a creep. And he didn't. It's another case of somebody not telling somebody that they got bit. So Tom Savini's character turns into a vampire while Frost is telling this war story. And he, you know, Tom Savini, Sex Machine creeps up behind him and his and his fingers look like real like they look he's got these talons and these claws and they just look real creepy the way they his hands creep up on his shoulders and he bites the shit out of his neck. But Fred Williamson transforms right after like he had one of the fastest transformations in that entire movie and for the life of me i'll never understand why because everybody trans it took them time to transform sex machine it took jacob a long time to transform everybody it took them unless you were an actual vampire you know they transformed as soon as they woke up you know from their dead quote-unquote human stages but Frost transforms right away and he's ugly as shit. He is the probably one of the ugliest vampires in the entire movie. And it's funny because he actually kills himself because Harvey Keitel's character Jacob, he's about to hit him with the shotgun and he you know, he like self-destructs. He makes himself explode, which is nasty. So, you know, I I just don't like that the only character in there. And he was a he was a um he was a G, you know, he was, he was at the table at the titty twister. He was trying to, you know, stack the dominoes and make a house out of the dominoes. And the chick that was giving him a table dance kept knocking him over, but she, she, you know, she crouches down and she lights a cigar for him. And he's just there, like, just to have a good time. And he's, he is one of those take charge characters also when, uh, you know, when shit hits the fan. Whew, number 10, I just looked at it and I got a little disturbed there. Number 10, a lot of people might not know this guy or remember this character or this scene from this movie, but those that do, man, they, let me tell y'all, this shit, whoo, this had to make my list, uh, because while the movie is not that epic compared to, you know, parts two and parts four for me, um, this shit haunted my dreams for a very long time, just this image and the way that it was executed, uh, John Clare is my number 10, who played Malcolm in Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. Now, I don't know how many of my listeners are Children of the Corn fans, but these movies, these movies are very hit or miss. They have gone completely off the rails the more and more they go on. They have very little continuity. They have very little to do with one another. Some of them do. The, the, the lucky ones do. There are movies in the series that are just horrible. 
Now, Children of the Corn 3 is, I think, when they kind of started to go batshit crazy off the rails. Um, they really took the gloves off as far as the supernatural shit goes. And it's one of those movies that is just, it's nasty, it's really fucking wicked, it's creepy moments that just make you itch, it's disgusting. But John Clare's character, Malcolm, he's actually pretty useful, and he becomes best friend with the main character, Josh, whose brother... Eli is, you know, he's the new Isaac, basically, and he's causing all the mayhem and causing all the shit to hit the fan. And uh, actually, it's, it doesn't take place in Gatlin, Nebraska. It takes place in the city. Urban Harvest, of course. But there is a scene where Malcolm's character and uh, the character of Josh go to, back to Gatlin, Nebraska. And I love it because this guy, you know, first of all, he headed out with Josh, you know, they became best friends early on and he headed out with Josh because Josh was trying to get with his sister. I completely understand that. And he was just like, you know, man, I, that's my sister, man. And your family's too fucking weird. But, you know, he apologized to him after that. They ate, they sat down and ate some lunch. So Malcolm actually is thorough enough to the, the, the point that he believes Josh and what he's talking about. So he goes on a road trip with him. They get some coffee and they drive out to Gatlin, Nebraska. Now, what happens is they go to find this book. It's a book that's like uh, it's 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 got corn embedded in it. Some type of uh, spiritual satanic ass book that Eli's trying to get his hands on. And they, first of all, they fight a fucking lot, a living scarecrow monster that was um. You know, it was basically Josh and Eli's foster father that Eli turned into a scarecrow, but it comes to life and they end up killing it. So what happens is Josh and Malcolm are on their way back to the car and they forgot the book. So Malcolm's like, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll go back and get it. Now, when I was a kid and saw this, I thought he was going to be all right because he was rocking out at this point and a lot of black people had died. I think maybe one two three black people had died at this point but Josh, i mean malcolm was cool so when he goes back he reaches down for this book in the cornfield that's way 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 yards away from josh and what happens is these weeds come out you know these thick ass weeds come out of the come out of the ground and they just they they stick right into his arm they start sticking into his legs they stick into his crotch they pull him straight down to the ground so all while he's screaming for josh to help him Josh can't find him and he's running there's a nice shot though he's running towards him and they dolly zoom it really quick but what the fuck happens is these thick ass satanic he who walks behind the rose weeds they start sticking into his head you know a leaves start wrapping around his neck and the you know you can tell it's a wax dummy but it's an animatronic dummy and it just looks really fucking creepy he looks really tired like he's in pain but he's really tired because he knows he's about to check out but these motherfuckers even take it a step further and they start to detach his head from his body cool i've seen decapitations on screen before but what happens is his his body starts to like scrunch down into the ground like an accordion being smashed and the more his body crunches down into the ground the more and more his spine extends. And I'm talking, this this dude's spine is about, I don't know, man. It's just like a football field in length. You know, this shit is sticking up out, out of the ground, like in the sky, like kissing stars in the sky. This is some of the craziest shit they have ever done in the history of the Children of the Corn series, man. Like, And I know they've done some really crazy stuff, even in the bad movies, but I never, ever in my lifetime seen it anything like that before and i it's one of the reasons one of the many reasons that that movie children of corn 3 is hard for me to watch because it's some disturbing ass 
imagery in it like i'm all for being scared in a horror movie i'm all for having a good time being scared but when you disturb me that's something i mean it's an accomplishment for me being a horror buff but look man i ain't never seen nothing like that in my life so i mean it's not a, necessarily a great movie but shout out to children of corn 3 for creeping out my childhood like that number 11 my man he actually made the uh he made the the list prior to this when he actually survived but this time he wasn't so lucky and he actually is the only thing that i really like about this movie per se uh michael t williamson has made the list again as george from final De the final destination which was the fourth movie george was the security guard uh at the race car track when the premonition happened and you know when it came to when it came full circle and actually happened and killed everybody George is actually pretty, he's a soulful character, you know, his character has some, you know, he, he, he's like a recovering alcoholic, he lost his wife and his daughter, you know, he was driving drunk and he died in a car accident, he lived, so he's turned his whole life around, and I like that about his character, that even in a movie that's not great, his character has that layer to it, you know, and it makes you, it makes you want to see his character survive, but fat chance, because black people in these Final Destination movies, forget about it, man, seriously, now, what happens with George is probably one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie, um, he, they're leaving the hospital because the guy who, you know, the John Doe, who had one of the shittiest deaths in the entire series, uh, he dies, and they're walking outside the hospital, him and the character of Nick, who is the guy that's seeing the premonitions and the flashes and stuff like that. So him and Nick are walking outside and George tells him, he's like, man, I'm feeling something. And, you know, Nick's not even trying to hear it. You know, his bad acting is talking for him. He's just like, yeah, man, you know, we can't lose hope. You know, we got to just find out. We got to find such and such and then everything will be all right. And George is talking about deja vu and how his wife was telling him something about deja vu. And this, <laughs> this fucking ambulance just comes, you know, Final Destination 1 style and slams right into him. And he, you can see him splatter. Like if you, if you slow motion it, he splatters on the front of the ambulance and it just takes him out. Now, when I first saw this movie, this was back during my super stoner phase, man. Um, I was almost on the floor laughing at that shit so hard because not only did I not see it coming, but it was one of the best deaths in the in, in the entire movie. And I'm just like, yo, I didn't want to see him go. Yeah, it's another salty ass moment because it's so unexpected. But it's hilarious because you don't you. I could not have anticipated that. Now, when you watch it now, you can see that they composited, you know, they digitally imposed uh, Michael T. Williamson's character and uh, the character of Nick. You know, they, they were in separate scenes, but you can tell that they put it together and it was some type of green screen effect. You People understand, you know, that's filmmaking for you. But yeah, he made the list, man. Shout out to Michael T. Williamson, underrated actor. I'm pretty sure I said that prior to this anyway, but who cares? I like repeating myself sometimes. Number 12, Mr. Future Blade himself, Mahershala Ali, who played Mombasa in Predators, which was the third movie in the series. Now, I put him on his list because his death pissed me off. And one of the things that pissed me off altogether about this Predator sequel, you know, a lot of people give it praise all while shitting on the Predator, that the last one that they released, which I thought was a lot of fun and I loved it. You know, you can just unscrew your brain and just have a great time with a Predator movie. This one, while it wasn't bad, I feel like there were so many characters that got nothing to do. Mahershala Ali's character being one of them. Then you had the cat. He was, you know, he was an assassin in Sierra Leone. And 
He's the second character to get killed, if I'm not mistaken. Danny Trejo is the first. Mahersha Ali is the second. Now, then you had the Yakuza guy. You had the guy who was like a spec ops, you know, soldier in Russia. You had all these international characters who could have been international. You know, they wallets would have said bad motherfucker on it. But you, they, they just were they just were wasted, man. Especially Mahersha Ali's character, because he he was legit. A G. And he was letting Walter Goggins know at some point, like, listen, man, are we done here? Because we can go all day. Like, I need to find out who dropped me on this planet and where I'm at. And I need to get home back in time for Din Din. But what happens is they find a predator um, who's actually played by uh, Derek Mears, if I'm not mistaken. I think he plays classic predator in this. So shout out to Derek Mears for being a modern day movie monster, man. Definitely underrated guy. But what happens is they find a predator strung up and you know, there's two different breeds of predators in this movie, and the bigger breeds, um, you know, the brute kinds, they strung up, you know, the, the, the original kinds on some little brother shit. They put them on punishment. So what happens is Mahershala Ali is the only one that knows that the predator is there. He's like, yo, he's here. And as soon as he says that, you know, it, it, of course it's a squib that goes off, but something, you know, punctures his chest and he looks down at it, but you can't see it. So something else punctures his chest in a way where they have crossed, you know, they, they punctured them in two different places, but they're crossing uh, each other. Now, what it was, was it was a cloaked trap that, you know, he, he sprung somehow or the predators sprung themselves and it impales him and it lifts him up off the ground. And it's actually as sad as it is, it's a cool shot because when he gets lifted off the ground by the trap that's just been sprung, he starts letting off shots of his AK and it's like a really crazy, it's a really crazy shot and it's a crazy scene. But then they just, they had, they got the audacity to give you another shot of him dying, like just coughing up blood while he's getting impaled by these, uh, by these traps. And you completely wasted his character, man. Imagine Mombasa living until the end of the movie. Imagine him and Royce, who's Adrian Brody's character, having to work together. That'd have been awesome. But no, they couldn't do that. But it's cool because Mahershala Ali is definitely about to get his redemption. When he swings that sword and plays Blade, he's going to, I'm pretty sure he's going to kill it. Now, this guy, number 13, man, of course he dies in a lot of movies. It's no surprise to anybody, but this is the one that he is probably notorious for. I'm talking about Samuel L. Jackson playing Russell Franklin in Deep Blue Sea. This is another, this is a death that actually belonged in a Final Destination movie, you know, on some real shit because nobody saw this coming. You got Russell Franklin giving um, uh, a motivational speech of anything. You know, he's talking about when he was caught in the avalanche and then he starts doing that classic <laughs> Sam Jackson yell and he's like, we're going to pull together and we're going to find a way to get out of here. And it's, it's, it's so motive. Like you feel like that's your dad or your uncle or somebody just, you know, just really trying to give you a halftime speech so that you pull yourself together and you go back out in the game and you win by 40 points and win the, win the championship. Like that's the type of, you know, that's the type of motivation he would try to give everybody. And what happens? A fucking, I mean, I know it's super CG. Of course it was 98. I think deep blue sea came out something like that. 98, 99. But, you know, CG Shark jumps up and not only slams his ass to the ground, but then it pulls him in real slow. And then it takes him all the way down. And while it's chewing on him, another shark comes up and starts chewing on him. And they basically tear him in half. So it's just like, and then there's just this moment of silence where, where it's just a reaction shot of everybody just staring at the pool that Samuel Jackson was just grabbed into. Hands down, 
one of the best deaths in a shark movie you know if you want to do man versus beast water beast whatever it's one of the best deaths actually one of the best deaths in history i mean it's fucked up because it was a brother but you know ll held it down and you know i talked about him in the last episode but shout out to samuel jackson for dying in almost every other movie he's in number 14 i do you know i said this in my previous review i am not a fan of this movie however uh i didn't mind this character and the character I'm talking about, Sean Patrick Thomas as Rudy in Halloween Resurrection. Now, I say I didn't mind this character, one, because I don't really mind Sean Patrick Thomas as an actor. I think he's a fine actor. He's 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 done a lot of really good movies. Um, and of course, I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him. He's a black guy in a fucking Halloween movie. And as, as bad as the movie was for me, I'm still rooting for him because he had, you know, he had the balls enough to pull out two butcher knives and try to go toe to toe with Michael Myers. Not a smart move, but I can I can admire, you know, um, the motivation for that. But it's bad because, you know, he, he's trying to go toe to toe with Michael Myers and then he goes to run for the back door and it's locked. First of all, they just said all the doors were locked. You should have been just ran towards that man and stabbed him in his face. That's what you should have done. Stab him in his face with both of them. Go straight for the eyes or straight for the jugular. But what he does is, when you know, when the door's the door's locked, Michael Myers is still walking towards him. He swings the one hand, you know, the knife in one hand, and Michael Myers catches that. He swings the other one, Michael Myers catches that. And Michael Myers, you know, he swings his arms downward, but he stabs him in his own stomach with his own knives, with his own hands. And he backs him up against the wall really slow lifts him up against the, the door really slow and st- and impales him. You know, he's already stabbed him, but he impales him to the point where he's stuck to the door now. You know, it's a nice nod to the original Halloween when he stuck Bob to the door. So this is what Michael Myers is an asshole at times because it, Rudy's already a poster at this point. You know, he's a he's an ornament for, a, you know, somebody's wall. And he's already stuck up there with two knives. So Michael Myers goes in the drawer and picks up another butcher knife, a big ass butcher knife. That's probably bigger than the two knives Rudy is now stuck to. And Michael Myers stabs him in his chest, stabs him again, opens up the door and just leaves his ass there. You know, it just leaves his ass there to hang from the door like a Christmas ornament or something. You know, he's like a wreath on the door. And it's bad because I, you know, I was rooting for him. Of course, you knew you. Everybody that saw the trailer, when he swings at Michael Myers and Michael Myers grabs his arm, you know more than likely it's a rat. But you know, at least he, at least he went out fighting, or at least trying to. Number fifteen, we are back at the Scream series. My girl Elise Neal playing Holly in Scream Two. Now. I'm actually glad they didn't go with the angle. Uh, it was a draft of the script where Derek and, you know, that was Jerry O'Connell's character, Sid's boyfriend. Derek and Holly were supposed to be the killers in the in one of the drafts of the scripts. And I'm so glad they didn't go with that angle. I just don't feel like it would have worked as as good, even though Scream 2 is my least favorite. But I love the character of Holly, man, because she was, she was, you know, Sid's new Tatum, basically. But she was she wasn't dippy like Rose McGowan's uh, Tatum character was like she she even has that line where she's like, stupid people go back. Smart people run. We're smart people. So let's get the fuck out of here. Like, I love Elise Neal's character in that movie. But I, I hated the fact that. First of all, it's bullshit, because how did Ghostface get away that fast out of that? You know, there's a car crash and Sid and Holly, you know, they, they rip off the great 
to um you know the gate to the back of the uh the, the cop car they escape by climbing over Ghostface's body and Ghostface just disappears like a minute later or so and when Sid finds out he disappears he jumps out of nowhere and grabs Elise Neal. He stabs her ass. I don't know how many times. He stabs her about four or five times in that, you know, she's got a nice coat on in that movie. And he stabs her all in that coat. He bloodies it all up. And it's really sad, too, man, because she's got this look on her face like, yo, did I just die? Before she falls to the ground. Like, she looks really confused in death, even in death. But I hated to see Elise Neal go, man, because it's like you already killed one of Sydney's best friends in the first movie. Like, but, you know, Ghostface said it best. You know, he said it's hard being friends with Sydney. When you're friends with Sydney, you die. So R.I.P. Holly, man, you'll be missed. I, I love I love Elise Neal in that movie. Oh, man. Numbers. I forgot this was even on this list. Number 16, Nick Savage, who plays Ali in Friday 13th, part three. 3D is how that movie came out. Actually, I've tried to watch it plenty of times in 3D, but you know, I didn't have a H like a HD TV at the time when I bought the DVD. So this is just a bunch of headaches. I you know I had to go through. But Ali is one of the bikers who early on in um I almost said Nightmare on Elm Street in Friday the 13th. He's one of the bikers that you know he he has a run in with Shelly and Vera in uh in 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 the uh, market. And what happens is Ali and Fox and Loco, they go back to the cabin and they want to burn the barn down just to teach the kids a lesson. But what happens is Loco gets killed, Fox gets killed, and Ali, you think he gets killed, but they don't really show it. They just show Jason, unmatched Jason, beating the hell out of him in his head with something. It looks like a billy club of some kind. And it's really thick and it's really short, but he beats the hell out of him. But what happens is you find out Ali has just been knocked out for the for the rest of the movie. He put he made that motherfucker take a cat nap real quick. And, you know, he puts him in a cat nap mini coma, but he wakes up at the end and he comes he comes running out the barn when Jason actually, you know, he takes the rope off his neck after Chris hangs him and he puts his mask back on and he picks his machete back up. And while he's walking to Chris, while she's screaming at the top of her lungs going crazy. Ali runs out the barn and you find out he's still alive, but the Jason is not having that shit because the moment he grabs Jason and spins him around, Jason swings that machete and cuts his fucking arm off, clean off to the point where he's Ali's looking at his stump just crying while it's pumping blood. So Jason stabs him in the, in the stomach with the machete. He falls down and Jason, you know, he he cocks his arm back and swings the machete down, but he starts chopping this dude up. Like I'm telling you, this dude goes straight up, you know, butcher. And starts chopping Ali up to pieces. I'm kind of glad they didn't show the aftermath of that. Because all you hear is the machete hitting the body. And it sounds like it's it sounds like it hurts. I mean, I don't even know if he was dead at that point. But I think that was Saudi to have him pop up just to die. You know, he could have popped up and gave Jason a little one-on-one work. but they was, And this wasn't even supernatural Jason. This Jason could still bleed. Even though... Richard Booker, uh, God rest his soul, R.I.P. He was a he was a big Jason. Like a lot of people don't don't really pay attention to how big that guy was in that in that movie. But yeah, man, I didn't like the fact that they brought Ali back just to you know just to kill him off. And speaking of Friday the Thirteenth, we'll keep it Friday the Thirteenth and jump right into number seventeen. Who is I hope I say this guy's name right? Arlen Escarpenta who played Lawrence in Friday the 13th remake 2009. Um, I wish this guy had a better agent, but 
I did like him in this movie because he was just a chill dude. It was him and his homie, the uh, Aaron Yu who played Chewy. It was him and his homie just getting high as shit, munchies, doing shots of tequila or whatever the liquor was, rum, whatever they had. Uh, what I don't like is they had him, you know, he had to be the one guy. Yeah, you're there by yourself, but you had to, you had to just jerk off to, you know, a winter catalog. Like that was that was kind of strange. But I loved that he made Jason bleed. You know, when Jason confronts him in the uh, in the tool shed, which, you know, wasn't going to be anything nice when he said, I, you know, I, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go look for my homie. You know, I can't leave him out there. But when you know Jason's trying to grip him up, he stabs him in the leg with a with a fire poker, and he actually makes Jason bleed. And he, you know, he he hits him twice. You know, he you know he he hits behind him. Actually, he's still standing in front of Jason, but he hits him with the poker in his face, and Jason gets pissed at this point because the way he's storming off, he's Jason has a quick tantrum because he's just like, yo, did this motherfucker just just bat me in my face with the back of a fire poker. No, nah, I can't have this go down. So. Lawrence is hauling ass out of the tool shed and I'm rooting for him like okay not only are you the token black guy but you are doing what you are supposed to do which is beat your feet and sure enough Jason finds an axe a, you know a double-sided axe I think and he picks it out the wood and Lawrence is still running full speed Jason actually they do this great shot where Jason is running behind him but it's a really far shot so you can't really get up close on it but Jason kind of like Jason fucking winds up and hurls that damn axe so far and it slams right into Lawrence's back. So but Jason basically this goes to show how smart he is in uh in the remake. Jason um you know, he uses him as bait because he doesn't kill him right away. He just, you know, he wounds him. He paralyzes him and he, uh, Lawrence can't move. But he goes to, he, you know, he stays hidden to see if anybody's going to come out to save him. So when they don't come out to save him, which those characters ain't shit because they left the black guy out there to die by himself. And we're not going to jump into that. But what happens is Jason sees nobody's coming. So he grabs the, oh God, and the sound it makes is just trifling because he grabs the handle of the X and it's this cracking flesh sound. And he picks Lawrence up, faces him towards uh, himself, and he throws him on his back. And the axe just impales him through his chest, which is, and it's like, Jason, you, 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 Jason's got something against these, these, uh, these, these token black folks, man. Cause you be doing a number on these people. It's not that deep, man. It's not that deep. You know what I'm saying? You could have, like, uh, that's why I wish somebody would have came out to help him. Because maybe he could have crawled away and that other person could have died. Trent's ass should have went out there and they should have killed Trent instead of, uh, instead of Lawrence. Any hootie. Damn, number 18 is, this is a, um, it's kind of a blast from the past. People probably don't even remember this guy was in this movie. Jaiman Hansu, when he played Wavo, I think that was his name, Wavo in, um, Deep Rising. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Crazy underrated. It's cheesy. It's uh, it's it's like the epitome of cheesy '90s action horror. But Jaiman Hansu, this is one of his. I want to say this was one of his first movies. I think this was before Amistad, if I'm not mistaken. But this was before you know Jaiman Hansu went on to become a sex symbol. Actually, like this guy was in. He had chicks going crazy. He was in that movie. Um. What is it called? A Paula Patton baggage claim. And, you know, women love this guy. He's not more, you know, he's not just that Amistad guy anymore. Give us free. He is actually moved on to a lot of good things. He's actually going to be in a quiet place, too, which I can't wait to see. But when he played Wavo and Deep Rise and this was a bad one. Now, I didn't include Clifton Powell because this death was just a lot worse because it was so unexpected. And, you know, what's happening is, uh, 
the chick that plays Jean Grey in the X-Men movie, she has this this key card that has access to all the doors. And he takes it from her and he opens up this door and he, you know, he's he's chanting to himself, money, money, money. And what happens is you've got the captain of the ship who just leaps out this elevator, just gung-ho, happy feet, and swings an axe into Jaiman Hansu's forehead. And even Jaiman Hansu looks like he didn't know he was going to die in this movie because his face is so surprised. Like, it looks like it hurts, but he looks surprised. And then his body just drops. And it's like, you didn't see that coming. The sea monsters didn't even get a chance to get to his ass. And he got an axe a hatchet through the forehead and it looks nasty the way it's cut is very quick it's very vicious and it it happens right away and it's just no turning back after that it's, it's definitely one of probably one of the more shocking scenes in the entire movie i mean the movie's good but that was definitely one for the books now hopefully he doesn't die in a quiet place too we got to break the cycle jimon mr hansu we can't do that now number 19 this is a three for three and this was my childhood crush, and I wish she didn't die in every horror movie she was in. I'm going to tag you to this, too. Miss Megan Good, who she died playing Cece in the movie Venom. Not the not the uh, Marvel movie, but Venom that came out in 2005. It's actually a pretty underrated slasher movie. Um, she died playing Luba in Saw 5, and she died playing Shelly in One Miss Call. Now, in Venom, I actually love her character because she is the granddaughter of... Um, I can't remember the woman's name, but she's, you know, she's a voodoo priestess and she is the one that has the suitcase full of snakes that go into the guy, Ray Sawyer, and turn him into the supernatural killer. Now, Cece's very useful in the movie. She's bitten all types of gems about the voodoo and the candles and, the, the you know, all types of spells and shit. But what happens is this killer Ray Sawyer, uh, he can't get into her house out in the bayou because it's spelled. So he, you know, he can't step foot in the house. So what he does, he attaches a chain to his tow truck and he pulls the house apart basically so he can get inside. So what happens is a big ass beam falls on Cece's, you know, on her legs. I was, I was about to say lap and I said legs at the same time. That's why it sounded so weird. Falls on her lap slash legs, whatever. And Ray comes up and he, he, he slices her throat really fast and it looks nasty like it looks vicious the way he slices her throat because it's really quick it's not necessarily bloody but it's quick and the wound looks nasty but even Megan Good's so fine that even in a horror movie something vicious like Venom she can just die so gracefully because the way her arm drops she's just like oh. it's kind of like how Ashanti dies in, uh, in Resident Evil Extinction when she gets pecked to death by crows she dies like she's at a fashion show or a photo shoot or something like that it's funny but um I was sad to see her go, but now in Saw 5, she plays Luba, and in that movie, she gets stabbed in the neck by Julie Benz, and it was completely unexpected. I didn't expect her to die after that. I thought she was going to, like, you know, like, turn around, like, bitch, you stabbed me, and they were going to have a fight, but no, she dies. She stabs her in the neck, and they actually, they go as far as to use her body to open up the next door. You know, the, the it was something where they all had to, you know, stick themselves with, um, these you, you know these jumper cable things and everybody had to get uh you know some shock induced type of shit and what they did was they stuck every one of the uh you know the jumper cable uh spike things into megan good's body to open up this door so her dead body's getting electrocuted and it's it's hard to see man i hate seeing megan good in in in, in you know in distress like this even in death 
Now, in her playing Shelly in One Miss Call, I did not like this movie, and I thought that she was going to be in it a lot more, but she actually dies in the beginning of the movie, man, and it's crazy because they kill her so fast, so quick. No warning, no nothing, no explanation, but you kind of know something's coming because she's staring into this pond, and when she she's on the phone or something like that, so when she's staring in the pond, a hand just grabs her face or is it her, it's either her face or her neck and just pulls her in. The, you know, the little ball when it, when somebody dies pops up and, you know, to grab the cat afterwards. I didn't really like One Miss Call, but I had to count it because Megan Good, she dies in every horror movie she's in, man. We gotta, we have to break the cycle, y'all. For all y'all actors I'm mentioning that keep dying in horror movies, like, y'all, like, give me a break. Like, take it easy on my heart. Have some consideration for me, please. Just a little old me. I'm not asking for much. Um, number 20 is my man, and this is another hurt piece for me, like a personal hurt piece that I'm just like, it didn't even have to go down like that. I felt like I lost one of my homies out here, something like that, in these streets. But Gary Dordan, man, playing Christy from Alien Resurrection, man, was this dude a G in Alien Resurrection. He had the guns that were attached to his hands. And you couldn't even really detect them through his trench coat because when they did, you know, the, um, the, um, Jesus, what do you call it? The metal detector scene where they were like metal detectors, but they, they had gloves that could determine what the, where you had weapons at, but him extending his arms out when he had to put them in the air, they couldn't detect the gun. So when they were in the mess hall and they have that crazy shootout with the soldiers, that was a dope scene because, you know, they're telling him to drop the guns and he's like, yo, I can't. They're attached to me. And he's dead ass serious that he can't drop these guns. I love the character. But what happens is he's super G'd up for this, too, because he's carrying Vries on his back. Vries, I cannot remember the actor's name, but I love that guy, too. Vries is a paraplegic and he can't walk. So of uh, um, Christie is carrying him on his back uh, while they're walking around in the water. You know, the kitchen's flooded, but the, the lower level of the kitchen is um, completely flooded. So what they do is they have to have this crazy underwater aquatic battle scene with the xenomorphs and the face huggers. And Gary Dordan's character is on the he's climbing. Uh, he's using the grates that are on the bottom of the floor to like kind of maneuver himself across the bottom of the you know the kitchen floor as it's flooded while he has Vries on his back now he's climbing up the ladder and you know the, the xenomorph grabs onto uh it, it grabs onto him and grabs on the Vries actually grabs onto him when he falls and Vries is left to hold on which he can barely hold on and Ron Perlman's character Joner shoots the alien and his head explodes but when his head explodes it's still holding on to christy's his boot and it's just weighing too much on Vries because he can barely hold on you know his his arms are his hands are slipping and it's really sad because they're playing this crazy dramatic music for alien movie and christy basically knows what he has to do his homie's slipping so he can't risk his homie dying and they both die and uh, Christy, not only is he slipping and he knows what he has to do, his face is all burnt up. He looks like Harvey Dent. Uh, but basically what he does is he pulls a, you know, he pulls a, a hunting knife out of, a, you know, out of his back, wherever the hell he's got it stashed at. And he starts cutting the straps for him to hold Vries. And, you know, Vries is pleading with him the whole time. He's like, nope, we both can make it. Don't do it. Don't do it, Christy. Don't do it. But Christy, all he does is cut the last strap. 
and he falls back into the water with the alien attached to him and you never see him again and they assume he died now my thing is how did he die like was it the acid blood and the water mixture that killed him did he drown i don't understand how he died from that but because he did it's bullshit because they both could have made it or you could have you know you could have cut the straps and then grabbed on to something you didn't have to kill yourself i get it it was a sacrifice for the greater good i understand i get it but i just i love that character so much man and the token black guys never make it in these alien movies man i just wish he was that but he was the that one because i had so much fun watching alien resurrection and i i was i really liked all those characters even the um the characters that don't get a lot of shine like um i can't remember the guy's name but the one who uh he's for he's in a dustal dawn uh, raymond cruz is his name he's in dustal dawn 2 he's in training day he plays um to stefano he didn't get a lot of screen time i liked him i like brad dorf in it but whatever yeah shout out to gary dornan's christy character man i love I, ugh, damn it it wasn't supposed to go down like that it really wasn't Number 21, we, we're gearing towards the end, man. I'm going to wrap this up really fast because I've been talking for a long time. And I don't want to dwell on too many black deaths. Uh, you know, I live in Philly, so it's, I get enough of that shit as is. Number 21, Robert Richard. I think I said his last name, right? Blake in House of Wax. Now, I'm pretty sure people loved or hated him for the fact that he was actually, his character was dating Paris Hilton's character in the movie. And she got to do like a little strip tease for him and show off her little cheeks but he actually she's trying to tell him that she's pregnant before they fuck of all times right you know what time is that but she's trying to she's about to tell him that she she thinks she's pregnant before they fuck and he's just like yo what's up with the music because somebody turns the music off so he leaves the tent and she's you know she puts her you know her robe back on and she's just all turned off so he takes a minute to get back and the killer pops up in the tent and scares Paris Hilton off and she runs and she trips over something and it's it's um it's Blake's body and he's got this really cool hunting knife stuck in his neck and it's, it's bad because she sees his body he's like twitching on the ground and he's choking on his own blood he can't move he's stabbed in the damn neck now what happens is she runs off and the ki the killer Vincent who's one of the most underrated and inventive killers um in slasher history he walks up to, you know, he's chasing after Paris Hilton, but he walks up, not without finishing the job. He walks up to Blake and he kicks the knife further into his neck to finish the job. And I'm when I first saw that, I'm like, bruh, it's one of those cases where I'm like, he was dead. He was bleeding out. He was not going to survive that. You had to really literally stick the knife in and, get, and, and make it worse. And it's so vicious because he just lets out that that blood curdling exhale when he's when he kicks the knife further in his neck it's just nah. but you know it is what it is number 22 damn that's another two-parter man and that's my man too that's my man's in them omar epps when he played phil in scream 2 and when he played marcus in dracula 2000 now i think even though it was the second movie in the way that the first scream opened up with Drew Barrymore, of all people, just getting completely slaughtered, insides on the outsides, as Tatum said. Um, I feel like, I don't know if at this point in the series, even if, if it was just the second movie alone, where we knew that if the movie opened up with certain characters, they were going to die. I don't know. But I really doubt that people expected Omar Epps to get stabbed in the ear while he was like eavesdropping on something. First of all, I don't even like 
a bathroom to be occupied when I go to the movies to use it. I'm really weary about that shit. This movie made me weary about it, but like, you know, I, I, I just, I'm weary about it. I don't use urinals. I'm going in a stall. You know, I need my moment to myself. If I'm gonna go to the bathroom, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. I don't, I don't need to be around people for that shit. Now, if somebody's in a bathroom, I'm definitely not going to, um, I'm not going to eavesdrop on anything, especially after seeing this. Now, what he's doing is Phil is eavesdropping on, um, somebody, you know, uh, it sounds like some, a, a child talking to their mother in the stall next to him. So he puts his ear up to it to listen. And surely enough, Ghostface is right in the next stall and stabs his ass right in the ear, right in the ear. And it looks like it hurts because it's, it's a sound that that it makes when he he pushes himself off the you know off the side of the stall and the knife is still you know sticking out it's the sound that it makes with, oh it just it sounds vicious man and then he doesn't even die right away he kind of just he even kind of looks at the stall like yo for real and then he just he dies right after that and you know it's 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 very unfortunate now of course in dracula 2000 i I wanted him to survive in that movie for sure. Cause I'm like, all right, y'all killed him in the beginning of scream. You're not going to kill him in Dracula 2000. But I remember seeing in the trailer, they spoiled it because there's a scene where Omar Epps kicks Johnny Lee Miller and he does it in a way where he floats. And you're like, okay, yeah, he's a vampire. Cause humans don't maneuver like that. They don't fly. They don't float. So, you know, Marcus basically is, he is a thief. He's an antique thief. And he is the guy that orchestrates the robbery for the museum. And they take, you know, they break into Van Helsing's vault and they take the coffin, which has Dracula in it. They don't know it has Dracula in it. So what happens is uh, Marcus gets bit by Dracula, Gerard Butler himself. And, you know, when he gets bit, you don't see anything of him. So there's a scene where Christopher Plummer, who plays Matthew Van Helsing and Johnny Lee Miller, who plays Jesus, what's his name? Somebody please tell me this guy's name. I I, I can't remember his name. I'll, I'll figure it out later. But Johnny Lee Miller's character, Simon is his name. There we go. They go to the museum to kill off, you know, they're, the people that died in a plane crash. Van Helsing knows they got bit by Dracula. So he's like, listen, we have to cut the heads off the bodies before these motherfuckers come back to life and, you know, suck the blood from everybody. And they're thirsty. So what happens is... Um, Inside one of the body bags, of, you know, in the museum with the dead bodies in it is Marcus. And he there's a it's a good shot. You could tell his wire work. But Omar Epps, before before Simon gets a chance to stab inside the the um, body bag, Omar Epps flies out of it and he sits up in true vampire Dracula fashion. And, you know, he doesn't die in that scene. But he gets stabbed in the eye. And then when he runs into John Lee Miller again, he, you know, he gives him a little workout in the parking garage. He beats his ass. He kicks a dumpster into him of all things. But what happens is Johnny Lee Miller, you know, he, he slices uh, Omar Epps' head clean off and it flies in a dumpster. I feel like he deserved better. I feel like if you were going to kill Omar Epps, uh, again, he should have he should have died fighting. That's Q from Juice, for God's sakes. What's wrong with y'all, man? I do love Dracula 2000, but I think Omar Epps' character should have been handled a lot better. But he was a thief. He was a criminal. I mean, it doesn't, you know, there are other ways to of, of rehabilitation other than, you know, becoming one of the undead, I'm pretty sure. Number 23, this had almost slipped my mind as, you know, as I was about to be done the list. I almost didn't even put it on here, man. Whew, this, this one hurts because this is a character who reminds me a lot of my grandfather. And... R.I.P. to both those guys, man. 
OGs at the finest. Uh, Scatman Crothers, who played Dick Holleran in The Shining. Now, Dick Holleran, he's a he's a character that's very relevant. I don't know how relevant he was in the book. It's uh, to my knowledge that he didn't die in the book, but he dies in this movie. And he dies coming to investigate, of all things. And I hate the fact that he had The Shining. I mean, that's how he had to know something was wrong. That's how Danny, like, reached out to him to let him know something was wrong. But I hated the fact that as soon as this motherfucker stepped foot into the Overlook Hotel, and it's such a calculated shot. I don't, I wonder how many steps he had to take. I'm going to go back and count them. Because he takes a certain amount of steps before um, Jack Torrance jumps out from behind the pillar and just buries an axe in his chest. And it is a scary ass scene it always scared the hell out of me because there's a shot of Danny screaming when Dick Holleran gets killed but I hated the fact that he went to investigate and possibly could have done some good I don't know how much good he would have done against a crazy ass dude like Jack Torrance but that's the only body Jack caught and it had to be the black guy had to be an old black guy at that I mean Scott McCurse wasn't that old but he was probably one of the oldest actors on set I'm sure of it. But you could tell he was seasoned. That's why his acting was so great. And, you know, rest in peace, shout out to Scat McCruthers. Uh, I, I just hated that as soon as he got there, he didn't even get a chance to talk to Danny. He didn't get a chance to talk to Mrs. Torrance. And he went through hell and high water to get there, too. You know, he rented a car. He rented a snowcat. Well, all the other shit that he did, he made some so many phone calls to people. He's like, yeah, man, I need to find out what's going on at the Overlook Hotel. He called his homie up like, yeah, I need you to hook me up with a car so I can get to. He was like, I'm at Stapleton Airport. He was going out of his way to make sure things were right, only to get killed as soon as he got there. Complete bullshit. But anyway, number 24, as we get closer and closer and closer to the end, number 24, man. And y'all know I don't like this movie at all. I've, I've expressed it plenty of times, but I did have high hopes for this character to do something. Trey Songs as Ryan in Texas Chainsaw 3D. Now, I have nothing against Trey Songs at all. That guy, I, I buy his albums. He's actually not bad in the movies that he pops up in, uh, but the character of Ryan, they didn't really give him a lot to do except be that guy who was cheating on his girlfriend with her best friend. And, I, you know, I, it's, like I said, it's nothing against Trey Songz, man. I love the guy's music. He is not a bad actor, but they just didn't give him shit to do in the movie. And while I'm thinking... Trey Songs is in a fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre while it's while it's off putting while it was off putting for me. I, I, I was trying to be optimistic about it. I was like, OK, they'll give him something to do. He'll have a scene where he shoots Leatherface or he goes toe to toe with him with a weapon or something like that. You know, the first scene was that they show him and he's kickboxing. He's boxing the shit out of a punching bag and he's kicking it. And I'm like, OK, he, he might have some moves. He might go toe to toe with Leatherface. Leatherface might get boxed up. Who knows? We've never seen that before. But what happens? You know, he, he's he, he's he gets caught after he doesn't get caught, but they he's fucking the girl, um, Nikki, played by uh, Tania Raymond, who listen, her body's crazy in that movie. And they did close up angles on it for a good fucking reason. I'm not saying he should have slept with her and cheated on his girl. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying that girl's smoking hot. And his girlfriend was, too, in the movie. But, you know, he's fucking the girl Nikki in the barn, but they hear Heather getting attacked. That's Alexander Daddario's character. They hear Heather getting attacked, and, you know, they run out, uh, still putting their clothes on, belt undone, uh, still buttoning up their shirts. So Leatherface runs after them, and 
basically she shoots at Leatherface and you know they don't know if they got him or not so Heather plows through the door uh, the, the barn door with the van so Ryan Trey Songz gets in the van and he drives so she's telling him you know the gate has to open up so don't you know slow down and let the gate open up he's like yo fuck that buckle up and I honestly I don't disagree with his decision to do that. Now, it was Saudi because that van bounced clean off that gate. I don't know what type of material or animantium or vibranium that gate was made out of, but the car literally bounces off the gate. It doesn't even crash into it. The van bounces off the gate and it and it turns off and the car starts stalling like the car literally turns off and starts stalling. Now, what happens is the gate opens up. The car starts just in time, but Leatherface sticks the chainsaw into the side of the van and cuts downward and cuts the tire in half now this is having the van ride on a rim in the back and what happens is the van flips over and they smack out it doesn't even look like a bad car accident really so what happens is you get the inside view of the you know the aftermath heather's all banged up nikki's all banged up and heather turns around and she sees ryan and he's dead He's fucking dead, and he doesn't even die from anything Leatherface inflicted. He dies because he gets his throat slashed. Um, I don't know if it's glass or whatever, but he is just dead. And then Leatherface actually has the nerve to cut his head off because you see his severed head in a bucket or something like that in a scene afterwards. But he dies. In the movie, they didn't give him anything to do, and you killed him in an accident? I, it would have been way better if Leatherface just personally killed him during a fight or something like that. I hated the way Trey Songs went out in that movie, man. I, he deserved a lot better. A whole lot better. Now, with that being said, I would prefer his death over my last death, number 25, on the list of the times we did not make it. And my number 25 man it hurts is ernie hudson who plays jones in leviathan now i mentioned this i'm i'm almost sure that i mentioned this in either the episode prior or a few episodes ago <sighs> jones is he is the token black guy in leviathan but he pulls his weight long story short they get it's a very deep blue sea like moment the first of its kind because they get to the surface Peter Weller, Ernie Hudson, and the female um, character, I can't remember her name or the actress's name, forgive me for that, but they get to the surface, help is coming, man, all hope is not lost at all, that everything's going to be okay, and as soon as help comes, up jumps the Leviathan monster and just goes right for Ernie Hudson and literally kills this man with like two minutes of the movie left to go. And it's just so unceremoniously the way they do it. I, I it's so disappointing. He lit. I, I feel like I, I don't know what was behind that, but that was some of the most tasteless shit that they did in the entire movie because he lit. You was right there, dog. He literally was right there, and you took him away. Ernie Hudson of all people, Ghostbuster, Solomon from Hand That Rocks the Cradle. You know what I'm saying? My man Ernie Hudson died at the very end of the movie. That was so you don't do people like that. You don't do that. You don't do us like that, man. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. We need I, me and Jordan Peele need to start a campaign to have every black person live in a movie unless they really deserve to die in a horror movie. But, you know, that 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 completes the list, man. And as much as I didn't want to do it, man, like I said, somebody gave me the idea to do it. So good looks on that. I, 
I think I, you know, I kind of feel fulfilled that I did this. I, I, but part of me is just like, why would you do this and put this dark cloud over the last episode you did? The last episode was so positive. It was the nigga we made it moments, but this one was just such a downer. Be, you know why? Because I had to put it out there and I had to, you know, I had to make light of the fact that, you know, we either go out fighting or we go out to the point where people will remember it. Or at least I know uh, there are lots of them that I remember that. And people will probably listen to this episode and be like, yo, I don't even I've never even seen that movie or it's a movie that somebody doesn't even remember existed. But none, nonetheless, that's my list, people, of the times we did not survive, man, as sad and morbid as it was. It's a part of horror history. So that being said, catch more of the horror history, because me being a horror fanatic, I will talk horror a good percentage of the time on this uh on this podcast so catch the podcast episodes on anchor spotify itunes google podcast apple podcast overcast podcast breaker and radio public it'll be on more platforms soon shout out to anchor for making that happen trying to make that happen follow me on facebook and instagram romero tutor follow the facebook movie group cinemaniacs shout out to the tutor reviewers out there man i'm this close literally this close and that actually happened today because people tuned into more episodes today man i appreciate every single one of the listeners thank you for showing the love thank you for showing the support and it 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 never goes unnoticed i can't stress that enough so definitely much love to you guys much respect to you guys from down here in philly now another episode of tutor reviews in the can people yours truly romero tutor i'll catch y'all on the next one